0: Hey, hello there and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is...
1: Hey, it's Candace Lepage.
0: It is Candace <laughs> Lepage. Uh, I, I knew that because we're reviewing a horror movie this week.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to watch 100 new ones to me in 92 days. I got a <laughs> I can't. I can't waste time watching some other movie in these months.
0: <laughs> oh, you mean to tell everyone there's a hundred horror movies you haven't watched?
1: There are. I think it's pretty funny every time I tell someone I'm trying this challenge. They go, "Where do you find all these horror movies?" I'm like, "There are like three billion horror movies. <laughs> there are probably four released yesterday."
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, there's even uh on Tubi TV right now. There's a horror movie called The COVID Killer. Um, mm. so it's also very timely um also probably made on the remarkably cheap so i mean they're there if if you want to find them it's not listen people it's not that hard
1: nope nope and many of those (laughs) despite low production values are still very good and if they're not good they're charming like Mm -hmm. bad cgi (laughs) sharks which i watched which was absolutely charming (laughs) terrible terrible film
0: All right, that's a good kickoff for us. End credits, it's a local movie show for local movie fans. We're here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new slasher psychodrama prequel, Pearl, which you can now see in a theater near you. And it's been out for a couple of weeks, but there were a surprising number of people out Saturday night to watch The Adventures of Pearl, which were disturbing, to say the least. Uh, That is in the back half of the show, though, for the first half. Uh we're going to uh celebrate the prequel. And uh prequels get a bad rap. Uh, a lot of people think they're no good. Um, a lot of the times you are right. Uh, but there are st- there is such a thing as a good prequel. And it's hard to find, but you can find them. Um, I don't know about you, Candace, but uh I was sort of teased at the idea of um You know, trying to be as pure as possible to this idea of prequel, you know, technically you go on looking at list of prequels and you might see Godfather part two, which is technically half prequel, half sequel, because it goes into Don Corleone's early years. Um, The for people who don't know the Godfather, uh, Marlon Brando's character in the first movie played by uh, the younger version, Robert De Niro in the second movie. So is technically a prequel although the entire movie is not necessarily a prequel there's also things like wonder woman which uh takes place before um the uh her her first appearance in batman v superman dawn of justice although it is technically the first wonder woman movie um uh, but that that one almost feels like cheating too
1: I i agree i looked at that and i was like what so are we gonna call captain marvel a prequel now too is it, this is what's happening
0: by by those same measurements yeah
1: yeah i mean you can I'm, also
0: call guardians of the galaxy 2 a prequel because it only takes place uh, uh about a year after the original guardians but a couple of years before subsequent events in the marvel cinematic universe
1: that's how franchises work They <laughs> they you know time time moves forward sometimes mm. you have to backfill
0: hmm that's right
1: i think i've I, I i think i've mostly chosen more true prequels but it's hard to say yeah
0: we'll I, I mean you could also make the argument that if we're going to make a godfather part two a prequel then you know maybe transformers the last night is also a prequel since like 20 minutes take place in king arthur's time
1: and i did love that film
0: <laughs> it is a beautiful mess from beginning uh, to end.
1: Sir Anthony Hopkins I believe right was in that just oh
0: I, I mean just he, it was the best script he ever did I heard him say yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember that pre-show that instead of like pre like oh the script was quite good I was like uh you literally say the line it's a bitch and ride in that movie
1: I mean the man is put his time in he should be allowed to say ridiculous lines like that and love it
0: <laughs> i'm sure he built a beautiful addition on his house um <laughs> <laughs> he also calls the i think he also calls the prime minister no he calls a police officer in front of downing street a dickhead in in that movie so it's
1: mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. It, i actually i'm i think i'm talking myself into that this was a great script um <laughs> <laughs>
1: into rewatching the transformers 4
0: <laughs> yeah. uh, mm, that's
1: a step too far. I that, hear, I hear it.
0: That might be a step too far. All right, let's get to our favorite prequels. uh Why don't you kick us off with your first pick?
1: Okay, so I'm gonna go with one that was on many, many a list, but mm-hmm. I had already sort of put it on my short list, anyways, mm-hmm. and that's uh Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Mm-hmm. I also, you know, this may be on one of your lists. It feels like a pretty obvious one, but um, I mean. Rogue One was surprisingly good. And up until um, up until The uh, Last Jedi, which uh, is divisive, uh, I think Rogue One was sort of the best Star Wars film that had come out in modern times. Because um, it was just... It was so different mm-hmm. from the other Star Wars stories. And I think that that's a big part of why sometimes a prequel is really good because you can actually just tell more stories in the same world and you can fill in just little, you know, things that, I mean, obviously how they got the plans to the Death Star was sort of a pretty key plot point, but at the same time, you know, you don't need any of that story to get, you know, A New Mm -hmm. Hope and Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: it was a story that didn't necessarily need to be told but it was it was great to have it um, we introduced a number of really great characters to this film series that obviously people like so much that we now have a TV show <laughs> about one of them which i have not watched at all but a prequel um,
0: to the prequel
1: yes yes <laughs> the pre 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 prequel i, I don't know um, yeah so i and i just this was just a film that had such a different feel Um, not the least of which because of the rather tragic ending which i know some people were not so happy with Mm. but i think it's great you know to have a really full world like star wars is you have to have some tragedy as well as all the hero stuff
0: i don't think i I think the tragic ending makes it you know so good is that you know there are like there's no Ewok celebration at the end of that. Yes. It's like everybody who like made that mission a success gets smoked. And uh, yeah. <laughs> spoiler alert for Rogue One. Um, yeah, I, I think that's what makes it it work so well, and also uses like the different pieces of the the lore in really interesting ways that aren't necessarily like you know, ding ding ding. Here's this thing you recognize or or anything like that. It, it you know things like the kyber crystals, which were part of the lore forever. Um, having Darth Vader in like a, this, like really badass sequence at the end, like all of that feels like it's sprung from a natural place, and not because someone's playing Star Wars bingo or something like that. <laughs> yeah, Rogue One's a good. Yeah. It almost made my list. Um, I, I it did feel a bit obvious. Um, I might have substituted it with another Star Wars one, um, another Star Wars prequel of, of the modern era. But um, maybe I'll save that for another time. My first pick is an anthology. Um, it is The Animatrix, which is uh, a series of anime inspired short films um, based on The Matrix. Uh, the Wachowskis did oversee it and I think even wrote like the stories for a couple of the segments. It's not in, the thing isn't entirely a prequel. Um, some of them deal with kind of like, um, just like side stories of the Matrix, like one of my favorite ones is uh, essentially about this Olympic runner who, uh, through sheer force of will, trying to beat his world record in um, in a the hundred meter dash, realizes uh, that he's in the Matrix. Um, it's that that one's kind of neat. But there are a lot of prequels in the Animatrix. There's the most direct one, which is Final Flight of the Osiris, which I think played in front of. Dreamcatcher, if i remember correctly in order to to um promote the the release of the matrix reloaded it is basically the ship that discovers the machines are drilling down to zion in a sneak attack and trying to get the warning out which is plays out in essentially the first scene in matrix Re- reloaded interestingly uh final flight of the osiris is also a prequel to the enter the matrix video game um, because it, the, the, I think the first part of the Enter the Matrix video game is about retrieving the message from the Osiris. So it's, it's like a multiple prequel, multi-level, multimedia prequel. Um, there are also different stories in it. The kid, which is a character in the Animatrix, you learn his origin story in the Animatrix. Um, perhaps most densely, and also most interestingly, there is the two-part second Renaissance story, That basically tells the history of the rise of the machines and the, the, the first war with the machines and how the sky was blacked out and who's responsible for what you get this excellent line with the machines in front of the surviving humans. It, it at one point where they say hand over your flesh which is a very Cronenberg style line I like <laughs> um <laughs> it's 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 it, it's fascinating and and the directors borrow a lot from like historical images of massacres and war and things to illustrate just how terrible this um this initial war that led up to the creation of the matrix was and then there was also this I mean granted it no one knew there was going to be a matrix revolutions at the time, but there is a short in the animatrix called matriculated, which is essentially about humans creating a matrix for the machines so that they can show that humans aren't all bad. And uh, of course, one of the plot points in matrix revolutions is that um, in the new human society, it's humans and machines working side by side. Um, Some machines have become sort of, symbiotic with with the human civilization so um inadvertently animatrix is also a prequel to a key thematic plot point in matrix revolutions a film made almost 20 years later so it works on multiple levels <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and it has multiple styles and uh it's it's a lot of fun i've always been a big fan of the animatrix um as as sort of this um it, it's it's a canonical piece of the Matrix story that often gets overlooked. And uh, I, I think it it offers a lot of um, a lot of value. It's a prequel to Reloaded, it's a prequel to Revolutions, it's a prequel to the first Matrix, it's a it's a prequel to the video games, it's just prequeling all over the place and uh God love it. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you so much that it was next on my list. It was oh, also on my no list. Which <laughs> is yeah, yeah. Because I too, I thought when I, I saw the Animatrix, um, I was just I was just blown away because I mean, um, I had spent a lot of time with the film The Matrix. And then there are actually two books that are like philosophy of the Matrix, and I just mm-hmm. was so into this world. I think that first film just created this like incredible sort of canvas to tell mm-hmm. stories on, and so I loved when the Animatrix came out. Um, I I watched this you know sort of collection a number of times, and I also just I. You know, you've you've described it really well and that there's so many different stories from so many different sort of um, angles and ideas. And they're also all, what's important is they're all totally different, like, animation mm. styles.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, everything looks so different from each other. And I just, that to me was part of what I really loved about this is that um, it's almost like the Wachowskis created a world for other people to play in. Mm -hmm. right they like it's just like here it is now you can tell your story like you know it fits these sorts of things and that's it and have fun and push boundaries and try different things because it's not ours like it's not you know the wakowski saying it's it's not ours it's yours like we you know here's this whole thing and really like opened up the doors for for a lot of people to try different things and tell different stories Mm mm-hmm um and unfortunately, I'm, you know, I, I feel like the the next two I haven't actually seen the fourth film, but the the next two matrix films I think just sort of really didn't didn't move forward. I kind of feel like the Matrix was amazing and then the Animatrix was the peak. And then <laughs> <laughs> it kind of went down from there, unfortunately. Um, you know, which is probably partially because of that thing with Okowskis did create this thing and then let it out into the world for other people. And then, you know, we're sort of brought back to keep telling these stories. So like there's like, anybody else can do this. There can be different stories. Like we don't have to keep going back to Neo. Like here's, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is, six or eight stories. And I think Neo does sort of show up in one of them, but Mm -hmm. none of it is really you know, following the the story of the Matrix or Neo or the prophecy or the One, it's just like here's all this other stuff. Like we don't need all these other movies about this one person.
0: All right. Um. So I chose uh, Twin Peaks, Fire Walk with Me.
1: Ooh.
0: It wasn't your number three, was it?
1: No, no, but <laughs> okay, <laughs> it did make the long list. Yes.
0: Okay, good. Um, So after Twin Peaks, the, the original ABC show ended, uh, David Lynch, still obsessed with the world of Twin Peaks, made Firewalk With Me, which is uh, a prequel. Um, in, in terms of like, there's a separate FBI story at the beginning about the murder of this uh, young woman in another small Washington town, which may be, connected to the murder of Laura Palmer, which was the basis for the the whole series, how it began. Um, So you do get this story. You get this side story with the FBI where um, it's Chris Isaac and Kiefer Sutherland as the agents investigating. And then you also get this um, connected story with the FBI with Dale Cooper and uh, Gordon Cole, who is played by David Lynch, of course, um, essentially setting up that there's some weirdness that the FBI has been involved in. So like Dale Cooper didn't exactly walk into twin peaks, um, unprepared for the weirdness that would come. And then you get uh, another entire story about Laura Palmer's last week. And, you know, you really do get a sense of, um, I think David Lynch has said like when, when twin Peaks ended, he was kind of obsessed with the character of Laura Palmer and he didn't want to let her go yet. So he, uh, invested himself in this um, in this uh, other story with uh, with Laura Palmer to sort of explain how she ended up dead um and what her life was like and like how this seemingly American dream girl was just so corrupted and tortured and um how she ended up wrapped in plastic and left on the shore of the of the river it's uh it's so weird it's not necessarily uh, suited to a, a narrative structure shall we say um although it, it's <laughs> it's arguably more narrative than the twin peak series that would come <laughs> later uh but it's it's fascinating um i mean it's really great to be, like just to be able to spend more time with these characters to get at the get to the end of the series and then there's this whole other movie where you could spend time with um a little bit more time with the characters although you do get um some casting changes uh laura flynn boyle mm-hmm. suddenly becomes maura kelly as as donna uh, i guess it's just you know in the in the early 90s uh skinny brunettes if we're interchangeable um <laughs> but you there know, you go
1: maura kelly and laura Flynn boyle um i like them both but i also can see how they can be interchangeable i can i i can <laughs> see i can see it
0: but it is the connective tissue to if you watch the twin peaks the return which i think was like 2017 and you're like well this seems like nothing like the old tv show it's like well the, the connective tissue there is is fire walk with me which you know interestingly sets up a lot of stuff that gets quote unquote paid off in the 2017 show (laughs) (laughs) but it's it's great it's like lynch going full lynch although it is interesting to note that mark frost wasn't involved in in the movie that he co-wrote and co-created twin peaks with david lynch there's a lot of behind the scenes it's a fascinating story there's a lot of behind the scenes sort of um let's say misery at the end of the the production of that show that didn't exactly yield itself to perhaps realizing David Lynch's full vision with the picture, but it is still fascinating. And of course it comes at a time. This seems like something that would definitely happen nowadays. Cause we just got at the end of last week that the news that they've greenlit uh, the community movie. So we're going to get six seasons in a movie that seems kind of pro forma now, but back in mm-hmm. the day when a show was over, it was over. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And not only that, if I remember correctly, it was over because it was kind of like, it was just not renewed. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, But then at the same time, I feel like, because I remember I did watch it a little bit at the time, Mm -hmm. but it was on late and I was a teenager and my parents were like, no, we're not, we're not watching this. This is weird. (laughs) So I had to sort of, you know, try to try to watch it like on the down low in different ways. And, uh, you know, I, I've rewatched that whole series and then Mm -hmm. remembered oh yeah that's right they kind of like wrapped things up Mm -hmm. but then still had like episodes to do and it was yeah I I think there definitely was a lot of sort of tension about like what do we do now we told the story we're done with the story how do we keep going and -hmm. I think um I I just rewatched the two seasons Mm. um at the beginning of the pandemic I think and then went straight to fire walk with me and I was like I wasn't I wasn't ready for that. I was just like I was still living in the world mm-hmm. which you know it's funny when you talk about Mark Frost not being part of it. I think Mark Frost was the one who kind of brought that comedy quirkiness to the town and to the characters mm-hmm. whereas Lynch brought like the otherworldly like where are we? What is going on? And both yeah. of those are great and I think that's what made the series so good mm-hmm. but you know, makes it a little bit hard sometimes to watch just like one half of that and go, "Oh, there's this. This was sort of a magic pairing that mm-hmm. was destined to not continue."
0: <laughs> yeah, it was chocolate and peanut butter, and um, but it is just fascinating getting the chocolate of of, of David Lynch.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I have not watched the new the return yet. I just
0: oh, it's great, but don't expect like to get like any. I mean you have michael Sarah showing up for five minutes dressed like marlon brando doing a weird french accent it's and and that's all you get about from that character that's the whole <laughs> that's the whole gestalt but it's yeah yeah all right let's get to your number three
1: <laughs> okay my number three is um nowhere near that um haute couture it is uh a Spoiler alert, a film we didn't know was a prequel until the final moments of the film, and that's nice. Final Destination 5. Nice. This, this it, it, when it came out, I didn't go see this. I was so tired of the Final Destination series. The first one was incredible. The second one, I really, really enjoyed. But then 3 and 4 was just like, okay, we're just, I mean, it's kind of like the Saw series. So it's like, all we're doing are these elaborate death scenes. Mm-hmm. Nobody really cares about any of this, like, this is getting ridiculous. Yeah. But then, go ahead.
0: I was going to say at the end of Saw, he had like 12 <laughs> apprentices. Who? <laughs> yes. It, it seems weird that. Yeah. yeah that, that, that never came out in, in the wash. But go ahead.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but thankfully, in the Final Destination series, Tony Todd has no apprentices. Death, <laughs> death works alone. Um, except sort of in this film, actually, in Final Destination 5, we do get a little bit of a, a, a thing where. They sort of realize that if they kill the other person who's supposed to die, mm-hmm. they can actually, it's sort of, I mean, they sort of do this with the, like the skipping them kind of thing, but this, this film actually has a character that like actively starts, like
2: mm-hmm. it
1: almost becomes a bit of a slasher
2: almost.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but what's great about this film, like I watched it in like, Some weekend I was trying to do, I was like, ah, whatever, I'll watch all the Final Destination films. I had bought a package that had like the first three on there. And so I put on number five just because it was, I was like, oh, I've never, I never saw it, whatever, watching it. And it just felt, it was, it was very exciting to reach the end and realize, oh my gosh, this is all right before the events of the first film, which I think was really smart
2: Mm -hmm.
1: um, to sort of you know, give us that. And it's funny to watch it. I put it on for a couple of minutes this morning. And I'm like, it's so funny, because <laughs> when you're watching it, knowing it, you're like, of course, like, look at all these, like the cars. I mean, the cell phone thing was a little bit funny. It was always a little funny. Like, why is this one character got this like weirdo old fashioned cell phone? What's <laughs> happening? But, you know, they, it was never quite obvious enough. There's just little things here and there. But then once you know, you're like, obviously, this was so like pre, like two thousand whatever,
2: mm-hmm.
1: whenever that was two thousand five something.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like
1: oh, of course, so so it was just really well done in that way, and just giving these little clues without actually like letting you know entirely. And then I also just really appreciate, and I wish the Wrong Turn series had realized this, that once you've come back around to the beginning with a prequel, now you're now your franchise is done. Mm. It's it's just a nice complete circle and you can just stop making films now. <laughs> and I think yeah. it's what this the series really needed because it was getting sort of ridiculous for a bit and then I was like, you know what? Let's actually just give this a really good sort of final final destination.
0: Uh, you hope.
1: <laughs> so far, so far.
0: So far. <laughs> Because I was just reading the Final Destination wiki, and there's uh, there was there is talk of a six. Um, I mean, everything old is new again. That's true. Speaking of everything old is new again, uh, my third pick is Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which is a prequel. It takes place in thirty six. Raiders takes place in thirty eight. And I preface this by saying I appreciate that there's a lot of problematic stuff in Temple of Doom. But um, one of them isn't that, you know, you have Indiana Jones, who's, you know, different. He's kind of more, shall we say, uh, Mercurial in, in this. Uh, he's out for fortune and glory. Um, he's not necessarily the this belongs in a museum, Indiana Jones. So it presents this interesting arc that there's this idealism when he's young, as we see in Last Crusade, that at some point he becomes a little more. Uh, shall we say self-obsessed and then he comes back around to it probably as a result of this adventure but it, it is interesting to sort of get this dark side of indie um to, to, you know helps understand how characters don't always remain the same speaking of last jedi characters don't always remain the same mm-hmm. um <laughs> and you know so you get this adventure where you get this self-obsessed um, you know, as I said, Mercurial, Indiana Jones, um, going on a mission, uh, granted again, white savior mission. Uh, also, uh, Deus Ex Machina, British Army in India, not great, um, but <laughs> uh, the adventure is great. Like the, the roller coaster ride through the mines is great. Also, um, John Williams, best Indiana Jones score, hands down. It's a lot of fun. I I know that some people get annoyed at Kate Capshaw. I think she's great in this. Um, and uh, like the short round uh, sidekick. I, I like the three of them. They're a good team. Uh, it's a lot of fun. One adventure to the next. And yeah, again, problematic as hell. But it, it's still a lot of fun. And uh, you know what? Characters change. And that's okay. And mm yeah indiana jones temple of doom i'm glad it's had a renaissance and uh i'm interested to see what happens with uh with indiana jones 5 um which again we're being promised Uh we're being promised it's the last one but we will sure sure Sure.
1: yeah temple of doom was great it was Mm -hmm. it was almost it's almost a horror film like it was it is truly, truly terrifying in some parts so yeah
0: absolutely Uh, Well, we're going to go from almost horror films to real horror films. We're going to review Pearl after this break. You are listening to end credits here on CFRU, 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, both Campus and Community Radio.
1: here any longer Howard was supposed to take me away it'd be easier for me
0: if I didn't feel like I was abandoning you
2: you understand that
1: I love you daddy but this is no way to live
0: and that was a clip from Pearl. It's the new film from writer and director Ty West, and it stars Mia Goth, David sweat Tandy, Tandy Wright, Matthew Sutherland, and Emma Jenkins Perot. It is the prequel to X, which we reviewed a couple of months ago. And it is the second in a trilogy, um, Maxine with three X's, Um, the Mia Goth character from X uh, that is going to be coming out sometime in the not too distant future. And yeah. So Ty West made a trilogy and managed to do it almost without anyone knowing and what I'm euphemistically calling uh, that I, after I blatantly stole it from the internet, the Mia Goth cinematic universe.
1: I love it. I mean, she does own this universe. Like, you know, Ty West may have made the movies, but uh, Mia Goth is, is really the star of them. So,
0: And she co-wrote the script for this. Mm-hmm. It's worth knowing. So mm-hmm. um, when you get the five minute, I didn't time it, but it was at least five minutes, uh, if not more. That like long monologue at the end. She, she co-wrote that and took it on knowing that she would have to sit there and perform <laughs> this monologue memorizing page after page after page. Of dialogue so respect amia goth
1: yeah yeah for sure
0: <laughs> uh so candace why don't you talk about your initial thoughts about poil as we were joking <laughs> during the break <laughs> oil
1: sure i refuse to call it that uh but that's okay um so yeah uh i'll start by saying that i think I was a little uncharitable in my review of X, maybe not so mm. much on, on the show. I mean, I really liked it. And I think that, that came through cause we talked about the many layers that were involved in mm-hmm. telling this, you know, having this villain of Pearl and her husband, Howard, you know, in the film and what it's like to, you know, lose being young and lose sexuality and lose all these things.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and, uh, but certainly my review on Letterbox. I only gave it three stars, which I think probably X actually deserves more, more than that. But it's because I went in expecting a certain sort of aesthetic mm-hmm. and didn't, I don't feel like I really quite got that. Mm-hmm. Pearl, on the other hand, um, I went in sort of expecting less. I think because, you know, with X, I was like, okay, so this isn't going to be like House of the Devil, sort of like, we're not going to get the, like, pulled right into this this like aesthetic style Um mm-hmm. so I didn't go in expecting that so imagine my surprise when in fact we did get that Um <laughs> and this film was just like it was just so beautiful mm-hmm. um for such a horror story but it was so beautiful like the colors were incredible all the scenery was amazing Um like Mia Goth acting. i've I've actually never seen any of her films before. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't think I've seen any of them. So seeing <laughs> her in X was was the first time I'd seen her. I was like, okay, that's she's I, I can see um, I can see the the X factor, as they say.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Mia Goth, like she clearly has sort of an otherworldliness to her, um, which is sort of present on screen, despite uh, a rough accent.
2: Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. this
1: poor woman, she's um, New Zealand accent, I think, or Australia, and trying to do a southern accent. It's... um, She's she's English, actually. English, okay. Either way, it's very over the top. Um, But I think in this film, it actually worked really well, because everything was so big and bright and vibrant. Um, Mm -hmm. And you know, you sat there going, I am watching a movie. Like, <laughs> you know, sometimes when you go to the movies, you want to be like, you want to feel like you're right in it. Whereas this, mm-hmm. because it is, um, you know, the film itself is sort of a love story to Pearl and a love story to the early sort of star making m- movie scene. So mm-hmm. at every moment you felt like you were watching a movie. So the fact that her accent was also so... big we'll say
2: Mm -hmm. just fit
1: perfectly in here i will say unequivocally that i loved pearl way more than i liked x and i think that this is by far the better film of the two but Mm -hmm. i also still really like x i think people should watch both but they are two totally different films Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: both do what they're trying to do really well uh
0: yeah it's I think it's a photo finish for me. I didn't have any expectations going into X um, and I, I, thoroughly enjoyed it. I Pearl, I had slightly more expectations because I know what Ty West and Mia Goth are capable of. So um, what, what I will say with this, it was a surprise. It was a surprise how much he leaned into the aesthetic of like 1940s, filmmaking like there's this very kind of technicolor sheen to to the film um this very like the the contrast rates are high so the yellows are really yellow and the reds are really red and the blues are really blue um it, it's just remarkable and, then, and the music um it, it sounds like you know something you would hear in a Hitchcock movie or or like one of those kind of golden Hollywood movies where they're using the whole orchestra. This isn't somebody that's like behind a synth and mixing things in um, Garage Band. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it, it feels like somewhere there was a symphony and somebody conducting it, and it really sounds. Although it, it does sound like other movies, it really sounds unlike any other horror movie um, that you you typically get now, which you know borrows heavily from that sort of John Carpenter style or occasionally does borrow John Carpenter. Um, but yeah, it's it's it is n- I don't know what I was expecting with this movie. I definitely don't think it was what I was expecting. Uh, Pearl is capable of horrible things but there are also kind of understandable things. Um, Mm -hmm. The movie is conflicted. The character of Pearl is conflicted. It's like she wants to desperately get off this farm and she is willing to take any means necessary to get off of it. Um, But she also has a lot of, you know, sympathy for her mother's concerns, for her father's condition. Uh, The fact that her husband is away at World War I. Um, You know, she... She's not unsympathetic to the outside world, but she's, you know, like Maxine in, uh, in X. is, And I, 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 I'm I curious now to go back and watch X. I didn't get a chance to do it today because I do wonder how much overlap there is between some of those monologues where she's like talking about how she's going to be like the, the the X factor line. That's one of those like mm-hmm. sort of bingo moments when the projection says where you have that X factor. It's like ding, ding, ding. I remember that from the first movie. <laughs> um. Yeah. But th- th- there is like some monologues where she's just like kind of like boosting herself up, boosting self esteem. She's talking to the cow about how she's going to get off the farm and, and become a star. And I wonder how much overlap there is between that and some of the, the things that um, Maxine was saying in X. If uh, there's kind of lines borrowed or sort of ripped right from X, but they're, they're said by Pearl, which also further sows these connections between those two characters that they, they both um, have these like sort of star studded dreams that um, they may not have actual talent to actualize.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I think, I mean, because Mia Goth played the character of Pearl as the older version in, mm-hmm. in X, mm-hmm. um, it's sort of clear that there was always supposed to be a duality between these two characters. And that's sort mm-hmm. of what the the film was about. Like, in a way, kind of looking back at yourself and the choices you've made and the opportunities you had and what was lost. Mm -hmm. So um, it makes sense that they would have a very similar sort of starting place Mm. of being um, sort of someone from nowhere trying to become famous or to become loved. And I think Mm. um, in this film, Pearl, I think they just did such an incredible job of um making pearl like a sociopath with like a borderline personality disorder like she clearly so when you talk about how she has a lot of sort of sympathy for like her her mother her father her her husband and stuff like that i i sort of disagree i think that she she understands that she should have sympathy for them. She understands that, yes, it sucks that her father is ill. Mm-hmm. Um, but to her, um, and it, it comes clear sort of in the film, to her the answer to that is that you should just stop living. Like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: there's no reason for you to be alive then if you can't achieve the things that you want to achieve. And that's the thing where, you know, they do such a good job in this film of making you Both love Pearl, but then also it's like, it's not that she is a victim of circumstances. It's not that, you know, it's just because she wasn't chosen for the dance troupe that this happened or because her mother was, you know, keeping her down. It's because she is unwell and Mm -hmm. she knows that. And her mother knew that. Mm -hmm. And her mother was trying to save the world from her, (laughs) whereas she just felt like she was being held back by her mother. And we sort of, and they do such a good job of of making it clear that yes, she's also just sick. Mm-hmm. She she has an illness. She has a darkness. She only truly gets. She only truly feels alive when she kills other things.
0: Mm-hmm. No, and I get all that. I think there's like there's a scene where um, the mother like basically. Sp- spells it all out for her uh, in 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 terms of the way you're you're mentioning it that she understands what her mother is saying and i think there is some regret that she is this way she Mm -hmm. kind of she kind of wishes she could even if it's like for a moment she wishes she could be like the dutiful daughter that her mother wants and not maybe the monster she understands she is yeah. inside there I, I I don't think it's a matter of like she she's not like one of these villains that is like I kill people because I'm a villain uh like, <laughs> like like there's, there's yeah. none of that like she she I, I I agree she knows there's darkness inside I'm not entirely sure at least until the end um or at least near the end when she decides to set certain things in motion that she fully absorbs her own monstrousness but then when things don't work out too um <laughs> she tries to you know take it all back even though she's done things that you can't take back
1: yeah well and so and to me that's a little bit where the the um the personality disorder like BPD yeah. comes in because people with border borderline personality disorder desperately need to be loved and Pearl yeah. desperately needs to be loved and that's made very clear and I think um you know, yes, she, like, feels alive when she kills, but then she also feels bad about it because she she doesn't want, like, like you say, she doesn't want to be unwell. She knows that that's the reason why people don't love her. She's right. like, you can see, you can see that I'm wrong, and so I can't make you love me. And mm-hmm. I think it's so telling that having watched X, you know that her husband Howard is still with her, mm-hmm. you know, 70 years later, or 60 years later, Mm -hmm. in 1979, and so, you know, she has this great monologue where she talks about, like, if you could just love me, this would be enough, staying here would be enough, and she'd be willing to, like, she doesn't have to be a star, she doesn't have to be that, because she realizes she just needs to be loved, Mm
2: -hmm. and she did,
1: and that was what she thought she needed to be loved, was to be a star, that's how you get love, other people are going to love you. She's not going to get that from her parents. And then, obviously, Howard does love her, spends the next 60 years with her, loving her, and it turns out it is actually enough. She Mm -hmm. does continue to stay on the farm all that time. Mm -hmm. Presumably, as we find out in X, presumably, (laughs) there are some times that she needs to exercise her need for killing. And so, there are, you know, on top of just X, there are also people before that that she...
0: There Did are some kill, yeah, yeah. There are some murders. Yeah,
1: um,
0: what you know, what you you point to something that's really interesting because there are these sort of fantasy sequences where she's up on stage, up on screen, um, and she so her her idea of how to achieve this the success is to be a dancer and to be one of these like, uh, you know, these I can't remember the name of the movie that she goes and watched to fully yeah pa- palace Pal- palace follies. yeah um she she wants to be a dancer she wants to be like in a chorus line but when she has these sort of fantasy sequences it is never of her dancing it is of her receiving the acclaim and people applauding her and her blowing kisses to the crowd um she she you know she's one of these people who wants that adulation wants that love from the audience but she can't picture how she's going to get there. i mean the dancing sequence you do finally see her dance it's like it's not it's not bad it's not great (laughs) but yeah it's it's just it's it's fine (laughs) it's never about the dancing it's about receiving the appreciation and applause and the adulation afterwards
1: Mm -hmm. and then again when you bring that back to maxine Mm -hmm. right and Mm -hmm. you know she talks about how uh she's a star she's you know Mm -hmm. she's a sex symbol but then also talks about how she doesn't really like being stared at and that Mm -hmm. you know in one scene she sort of talks about um just like whatever her line is you know do not accept a life you do not deserve and right leave the place that you were before Mm -hmm. and i think it's sort of similar in that for maxine being an adult film star isn't the goal it's just the way out mm-hmm. and that's how pearl saw that the dancing was never the goal it was just the way out and and then of course that was only after having gotten married because he she thought getting married was yeah. the way out yeah. and then that didn't work out so well
0: it's yeah that dialogue uh, or that monologue is so it tells you so much and you know you it's it's a cliche in movies like, you know, the show don't tell. But, I mean, there's so much that's sort of dumped on the table in that monologue about how Howard came from a good family. He, he was a person of means. He came from a loving family, which is something, you know, it's, it's kind of implied that she didn't experience. Her mother's a s- sort of stern uh, German, presumably immigrant, uh, pretty pretty well-spoken in, in German, uh, considering I think the actress is from New Zealand. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the, the mother has a line like, you know, we're, we're German, you know, and so we can't like put our head out too much because, you know, it's it's a war against Germany and, um, you know, you, do, you kind of don't want to be noticed because uh, people who may take out, uh, let's say, foreign... Uh, aggression on on the people from that place in 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 the home front so she feels unseen in in these multiple ways and then so she marries howard and uh y- you know the howard's mother seems lovely and of course we meet um the the sister-in-law whose name escapes me at the moment uh, mitzi mitzi which is such <laughs> a such a like a fleet flitting name it's Mitzi, mm-hmm. you know um and who seems lovely and she sees it as her way out and it just howard is one of these people who's like no 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 i know i come from means but i like good hard salt of the earth working with my hands kind of thing and um that's just you know it, actually now that i'm thinking about it, it reminds me a bit of house of gucci um
1: mm-hmm. yeah interesting
2: Which
0: also ends in a murder.
1: (laughs) I mean, and I guess it's like all that color and style and Mm. it's just like gaudy on screen. Yes. Not gaudy Uh, the person, but gaudy. uh, Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I got it. Uh, Got it in one. Yeah. And, you know, so you have all this kind of like, you know, psychological underpinnings and, and great character work. But, you know, um. I don't know if you picked up on this either. Like the whole thing, because I guess it takes place on a farm. You're thinking about Wizard of Oz the whole time. And there's a scene where she's riding along. She sees a scarecrow and she takes it down, starts dancing with it. And then basically defiles the scarecrow. And I'm thinking, you know, are we pushing the Wizard of Oz allegories a little hard? Because, you know, you can make the argument later she meets the Tin Man the the projectionist who's like kind mm-hmm. of is you know doesn't have a heart. Um, at the end, she's having that conversation with Mitzi, who's like she's like she says like pretend I'm Howard. So you kind of have this wizard moment where Mitzi's pretending to be someone else in order to get Pearl to admit a greater truth. Uh, perhaps TMI, as Mitzi finds out. But- <laughs>
1: yes, oops.
0: <laughs> but so, you know, I, I did find that interesting. It, there's this kind of like Wizard of Oz undercurrent too, where it's taking these sort of archetypes and sometimes literal archetypes and, um, and playing with them too. I'm still trying to figure out who the Cowardly Lion might be. Hmm. Is that heavy? Is that too heavy?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> uh, I, like... It's definitely there. The wizard, I mean, you, you can't deny the Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. you know, um, sort of idea there. The whole, like, yes, she's she looks like Dorothy. I mean, Dorothy was in sort of like a gingham dress, but had those two kind of suspenders over right. a white shirt. And she's, you know, Pearl spends the entire film in the the um, coveralls like the work coveralls over Mm. over the blue shirt Mm -hmm. the like hair with the ties like she's it's clearly sort of meant to look like that and then um you know all of the scenes of her going into the barn with the animals Mm -hmm. are just you know we've already sort of talked about the color but like it's just color graded like so much that it almost looks fake it's like Mm. no barn (laughs) is this colorful Mm -hmm. and no cow is this like brown and vibrant and mm-hmm. um so you know she's definitely meant to to look like like dorothy and the color is meant to look like you know when, when she goes to oz and everything is is so bright mm-hmm. um and then you know the sort of the characters and things i think are not as a sort of incidental um i don't know that she defiles the scarecrow <laughs> she just she's just masturbating <laughs> people use all sorts of things to masturbate it's fine <laughs> it's fine um i don't know did she put that scarecrow back up on its post i don't i don't know what happened great there, question
0: but... <laughs> great question
1: <laughs> um but but yeah like i mean i think the scarecrow there is sort of in a way to to sort of put people in the like ho ho! you thought this was like wizard of oz well it's not like that's specifically (laughs) why like a scarecrow was chosen just to like Mm -hmm. play with us a little bit yeah not to sort of push you to continue to try to find the themes there (laughs) um because she's not in oz she's in a real life and her all of the things that she does have consequences Mm -hmm. right like every action she takes has has a consequence and it just sort of rolls and rolls and rolls until this whole wave Um, I I, I do like this film so I've talked about Ty West and the sort of like the innkeepers for instance it's just like mm-hmm. the slow boil like a lot of people probably have some trouble with Ty West films because you know you just don't like it's just what is happening like there's nothing mm-hmm. scary going on there's nothing it's just like these long slow like scenes Mm -hmm. And in this film they do that a lot, but it's more monologue sort of based, but I just like that dinner scene with her mother and the argument is just like, this is what the slow boil is for yeah. so that you can just get this incredible scene where everything just explodes. Mm -hmm. And it just, it was, it was so good. And the woman who played her, her mother, um, handy right was incredible like a lot of people are talking about Mia Goth rightly Mm
2: -hmm. about
1: her performance in this but she she was that good but also was with these other actors who were just as good like if you didn't have um, the the mother having so much control over every moment of her acting and Mm -hmm. just knowing exactly when to raise her voice and when to it's just this scene was just incredible to Mm -hmm. watch and then you also sort of see you know her mom is you know she maybe also had a little bit of all of these things too Mm -hmm. that pearl had because she started getting quite violent in this but she's just found a way to shut it down with this german sternness of her right and so it's just yeah this film i just i think it's probably i'm gonna i'm gonna say it now it's probably gonna be in my uh, top three of the year
0: oh wow uh i'll give myself the last word of note like the slow boil is key because um the, the tension in the scene where mitzi tries to leave the farmhouse You don't get that unless you sit there and listen to Pearl talk about all of it for like, however long it was like seven or 10 minutes. It just but that scene as Mitzi tries to leave the farmhouse. um, I think that's probably what Scorsese was talking about when he's talking about not being able to sleep after watching this movie because Mitzi. uh, Well, let's not spoil it. Mitzi Mm -hmm. has Mitzi has some trouble after after that um we're gonna wrap up the show for this week we hope you liked it if you want to listen to it again you can find us at our website and show.com you can download it from the guelph politicast channel every friday at podbean or through your favorite podcast app at apple stitcher google TuneIn, and spotify and speaking of spotify you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on the show on Spotify, just open up your app and search for end credits on CFRU. You can also find us on social media. We're on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And Candace, where can the folks find you out there in the wilds of the internet? I
1: <laughs> am um, everywhere on the internet at Sin48, C I N N 48. You can find me on Twitter talking about Star Trek and Stephen King books and my 100 horror movies in 92 days, uh, where I have uh, gotten to about uh, 52 films, so I might still be able to make 100 before October 31st. Wish me luck. Send me suggestions.
0: Mm, Kind of slacking there. But anyway, uh, we're not slacking (laughs) over on open sources. That's tomorrow at 5 p.m. News and politics with Scotty Hertz and myself. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson and you can check out my news and politics site at wealthpolitico.ca and stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM CFRU.ca Guelph campus and community radio and we shall return next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for another end credits and we will see you then.